Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our series, Wisdom for Life, a study on Proverbs. For more information about CBC, go to the website, cbcsavannah.com. Lord Jesus, you are our cornerstone, a rock of stumbling and of offense, rejected by men, but you have become that chief cornerstone. Lord, you say, whoever falls upon you, you're going you're gonna to fall upon them, crush them if they reject you. So we much rather fall upon you now for your grace and for your mercy and call upon you for help and grace in time of need, that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that you would exalt us in the proper time. Lord, uh, have a challenging, challenging text or texts this morning and a topic that I have no right to speak on. I have no right because I am the chief sinner in it and I am guilty in it. And so I stand on Christ and him alone and his word because I can't do it on my own. And so please help me by your spirit. Help a broken, prideful man speak on humility. It seems ironic, but you've called me to do it. And so help me. I pray for your church. Lord, you say that you're opposed to the proud. And so I pray if we have any, just a hint of, of arrogance or haughtiness or pride this morning, that, that we would turn from it, that we would run from it so that we receive grace and not opposition by you, our great and mighty God. We know we, we, cannot stand, we cannot stand against you, and so we want to be for you and with you, and we need you, and so we cry out now, just please, Spirit, speak through your word and use it so that Christ is exalted uh, and so that your church is built, Lord Jesus. We pray it for his sake. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right, we are still in our series on the book of Proverbs. We called it Wisdom for Life. When we were on the West Coast a few weeks ago, we had the privilege to go to the San Diego Zoo, which is, this is awesome zoo. I haven't been to a zoo in a while, except in my house, all right, doesn't count. I don't have to pay to go there, but so we, so just getting to go to a place where you are just seeing these amazing animals, and we're, you know... Up close, at one point, the polar bear is literally like one inch away from Trip, licking his chops. I'm like holding up Trip. Look, he looks like a chicken nugget to him. And he's just this huge, huge animal, just impressive. And we go to the lions and the tigers, and they gave these lions these some big, just big meaty femur bone, which was awesome. And there's meat dangling, and it's just holding it there. And I'm like, that's awesome. Oh, it, this is cool. Right, and you get this—we get to saw the hippos, and the hippo just huge mouth, and it's right there, and and it's just impressive to be that close to something that if you know there wasn't a one-inch piece of glass, you would be, just you would be a meatball, right? You'd be you'd be destroyed, and and as amazing and as powerful and as impressive as some of those animals were, and they were—they were just amazing. When it comes to the deadliest animal in all the world, none of those animals were on the list. 
In fact, there's snakes. I mean, they had all these vipers. I mean, you'd be dead in like 13 seconds, they bit you. Not on the list. The hippo that could be, you know, crush you. The polar bear that eat you and drink a Coke at the same time. All right? Not on the list. In fact, the deadliest animal in the world was not even at the zoo. Wasn't even in, wasn't even in a cage. But it is all over Savannah. In fact, it's our state bird. The mosquito. <laughs> the mosquito is the deadliest animal in the world. Kills more people every year than hippos or dinosaurs from Jurassic World or anything else. And as I thought about that, we think, it's, it's just a little mosquito. Just a little annoying, just annoying insect, just buzzing around, right? Deadly. And as I thought about our topic that we're going to look at this morning as we keep going and talking about wisdom for life. This topic is a lot like that mosquito. We, we see it as, as just an annoyance. It's just this little buzzing thing. You kind of just, you know, that's, that's it. But yet it destroys more people, more churches, more marriages than any other sin. And that sin is the sin of pride. Right? It's pride. How many, how many of y'all struggle with pride? Okay, this sermon is for the rest of y'all, okay? <laughs> you three, you're gold. You can go. You're allowed to leave, right? Pride. We're going to talk about what pride looks like. We're going to talk about why it's so deadly, and ultimately where we want to land and where we're going to spend most of our time is how do we as a church, as individuals, cultivate humility, the opposite of pride, because it is a killer. You may not think it's a killer, but it is a killer, all right? And so we're going to look at some of these Proverbs. Like, like we have the last couple of weeks, normally we start at the beginning of the book and work our way through the book. That doesn't work so well with Proverbs. And so what we're doing is we're just going to kind of take some snapshots on what the Proverbs have to say about a topic, like pride. And we looked two weeks ago at the entrance point for what wisdom really is. It's the, the beginning of, of, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's a reverence. It's an awe for who God is and what he's done. And then last week, we, we talked about friends and that you perish for the lack of friends, and that you perish for the wrong type of friends, right? Today, we're going to talk about this little mosquito called pride, all right? So let's just talk about it briefly. What is it? It's, it's different, called different things in the scripture, haughtiness, arrogance, being puffed up, conceited, boasting, but ultimately what pride is at its simplest is, is when you think or feel or act or believe that you are more impressive, more important, that you are better than you really are. That's it. That you, are, you elevate yourself above what you really are. That's, that's pride. And it is not a rare occurrence in the church. It is very common. Right? It's just easier for some of us to identify than others in our lives. And it's very easy for many of us to hide it. But it is prevalent. And let me just kind of show you some categories where it may show up so you see, because we're like, oh, I'm not pride, which in, it, prideful, which in itself is an arrogant statement, right? So here, here's some examples where it may show up. It may show up, show up when you have any type of success. Maybe you've done a good job with your kids, and they're all, and you got jobs, and went to school, and you're like, look how, look how good we did, and look at that knucklehead over there. We did a better job than them because their kids are a mess and our kids are good. We must be good, very good parents and they must be bad parents because if they were good parents like us, their kids would have went to Georgia and blah, blah, blah. 
just arrogance, right? It's arrogance. Or our church is better than their church because our church is growing and their church is not growing, so God must be in favor of us, and he's not in favor of them because we're growing, and if they were, they were in good with God, he would it's just pride. We don't do that because everyone knows good Christians don't, don't listen to non-Christian radio. They have only one station, 91.9, on their radio station. And if you listen to the river and Delilah, you are a sinner. Right? We're better than you because, oh my goodness, you let your kids see a PG movie. Oh, I can't believe you have cable. Oh, we're, we're better. It's pride. Arrogance. Older folks, you can be prideful because... What's this young whippersnapper going to teach me? I've been, I got experience. I got life. I've done all this. I got grandkids. What are you going to teach me? There could be a tendency toward pride. Younger people, I'm 16. What are you going to teach me? I know it all. Yeah, you tell me something, Dad. Right? They don't have a context that's large enough to know that they don't know anything yet. Or they, they're 22 and they just come to faith and they read a book by a Puritan and now all of a sudden they're an expert on theology and they're going to tell you everything that's true and how you're an idiot when it comes to theology because you are not like Piper. That's the worst of them all. We got to take them out back and tie them up for six years until they mature, right? Lazy folks are prideful because they think everything ought to be given to them. There's an entitlement. There's a you owe me. I shouldn't have to do it. You should give me. That the bitter people out there, they're prideful because until they get what's right and justice, they're going to be mad because I was wronged and it shouldn't have happened to me. Folks who always have to be in control and because they're not in control, they worry and they try to do this and it's got to be done this way or this way or this way or it's not done. And if it's not done that way, we're up at night and we're worrying. They're prideful because it's all about them the way they should run it. The martyr, you ever run into the martyr? He never asks for help, and then after he gets through this thing, well, no one came to help me, and woe is me, and I'm so sad, and now I'm always alone. Uh, it's just prideful. They just want you to feel sorry for them because they want you to, oh, poor you, you're right. Person always gets hurt feelings every time you say something, hurt feelings. You got to walk around an eggshell because I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would talk like that. I can't believe you would say that to me. It's just about themselves. They're the center of their universe. Pride. Right? Folks who dislike authority. Can't tell them nothing. You tell me what to do. I'm, I'm an American. It's flag day. Don't you know that? Right? I'm going to do what I want. No hybrid parking only. I'm going to park where I want to park my car. Put my diesel and take up three hybrid spots. You can actually do that. I agree. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dumb rule. Okay? If you're... If you want to park far away, drive a hybrid, park far away, yeah, you know. But people that, they, they question authority always about them. People that use the language, I deserve this, and I deserve to be happy, and I shouldn't be treated this way, and I ought to be, you know, pride. Impatient people, I didn't want to put this on the list. I didn't want to put it. But impatient people feel like they deserve for you to move at their pace. Right? It's, why, are you, why are you driving like this, Andre? Why, why don't you hurry up? Turn! Turn! Get off the road! Right? 
impatience, pride. They're the center of the universe. People that aren't generous with their stuff, that act as owners, they won't part with their stuff. It's pride. Folks who are insecure, you say, how are insecure people pride? Because they so protected themselves, they never risk anything. They never put themselves out there because that's how important they are. They don't want to get hurt. Just pride. Critical people, argumentative argumentative. It's always, well, I had a two-run home run. Well, I had a three-run run. Well, I had a grand slam. Well, I had a grand slam when I was blind and in the snow. And then, I, you know, and it's always the one up. And you can't, at the end of the argument, well, yeah, and I got to be the last word. Just got to be hurt. It's pride. People with image, body image, how their kids make them look. Look, I got to have my kid do this and do this and this so I look good. I got to have my parents make me look good. I got to have my spouse make me look good. And in my my culture, I got to take a selfie every time my house is clean and and act like my house looks like good housekeeping, even though it doesn't. So everyone thinks that I'm just great, this, that, and the other. It's pride. I mean, I I pretty much hits everyone somewhere, right? I'm just working from my list personally, so maybe you got your own. (laughs) Okay. But what I want to talk about is why... Is this so dangerous? Oh, we're not going to sing that again, but I don't know why the slides aren't working, but you guys can figure it out. There it is. Why is it so dangerous? Let's talk about that briefly, because it is. What does the proverb say? What does the Holy Spirit say through Solomon? Why is this unwise? Why is the foolish man proud? Let's just look at a couple texts. And again, write some of these down. We're going to move through them quickly. Memorize one or two of these a week just so you have them in your arsenal so you can think through these, you can wrestle with them. But here's, here's a couple passages where Solomon deals with it. Here's a biggie. Here's the seven deadly sins passage, right? There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And this six plus one kind of format, it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom where it's not saying there's only seven things God hates. The idea is he, there's a lot of things. Okay, it's not an exhaustive list. But here's the big seven. And really, we're only going to look at the first one because the first one that he says on our abomination is what? It's pride. So pride is an abomination to me. He says in 8.13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I despise it. And so the first reason it's so dangerous is because God despises pride. And when God says, I don't like something, how foolish to play around with it. I mean, how dumb, right? And, and you say, well, doesn't God hate all sin? I mean, he's holy. He's, yes, but there is something about pride because the heart, the goal, the aim of pride is to steal glory which belongs only to God. Because remember, God is for God. He's for his glory. And so when you're trying to elevate, when you're trying to make yourself look better, you are stealing what is rightfully his, right? You are ultimately wanting to be worshiped. And we all like that a little bit. That's what we all seek. Everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. This is a great line in the greatest sports movie ever, Hoosiers, there's no debate, it's over, where Norman Dale says, Most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. And he is right. The problem is you can't handle that. And if you want an example, look at Hollywood and how these people destroy themselves when they are worshipped. Look at the Biebs. Look how a mess the Biebs is, right? Because 17-year-olds should not be worshipped 
You were created not to be worshipped. You weren't created to, to be glorified. You're created to stand and, and, and enjoy and, and just love the glory of God. Not take it from him. And this, by the way, this is the original sin. You want to know what the first sin ever committed was? Pride. Why did Satan get thrown out of heaven? Pride. In fact, Isaiah 14, talking about Satan, says this. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is what Satan is saying to God. He was cast out. Ezekiel 28, another passage that deals with it, says that his beauty corrupted his wisdom for the sake of his splendor. He was the most beautiful, powerful angel Lucifer was, and he... And he he thought, I'm, I should be better than God. And so he is cast out because of his pride. And how does, he, how does he deceive, how does he tempt Adam and Eve? It's not just with a good-looking piece of fruit. What does he say? You will be like God. He appeals to their pride. You'll be like God. Listen, Eve saw that it was good and it was attractive, and it made her like God. She takes it, and she eats. It's pride. What you have to understand is pride is satanic. It is satanic. You are no, when you are arrogant, you are no more like Satan than any other time. Maybe when you're lying. It's satanic. And here's what we do as a church. We focus on the polar bears. We focus on the lions. We focus on the alligators, the big things. Immorality, drunkenness, bad, bad, bad. Big old lions. And we ignore that which is most deadly, the mosquito of pride. Right? Because it's easy. We go to our accountability groups. What are you struggling with? You know, I'm just, just struggling with pride. Because we know no one cares. Oh, that's all right, brother. We're all struggling with pride. But does anyone have any real sin issues? Is anyone a meth dealer here we need to deal with? That's a lion we ought to slay. Anybody been murdering people lately out in front? We'll, we'll deal with that polar bear. But pride, that's no big deal. No one cares. No one cares. Yet it kills more people. More churches. I am telling you, more people go to hell because of pride than pornography ever will send. I'm telling you. Because they don't see their need. It is a huge killer. God despises it. Right? Here, here's another reason. Let, let me share a couple passages and we'll come back to them. Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Right? Abomination. There's that language again. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Destruction, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is the result of pride? Where does it end up? He says it every one of these verses. It ends in destruction. Why? And, and when you take the whole of Scripture, here's what you realize. That the reason that pride ends in destruction is because God is the one opposing the proud. That he is setting himself in opposition to the proud. So when you are proud, when you are arrogant, you are putting yourself on the other team 
of God. It's as if you're on the playground picking teams for kickball, and you go on this team, and God says, oh, the proud guy's on that team? I'm on this team, and he's over here. And when you are on the opposite side of God, it is not a good thing for you. You will lose. God is the one who brings low. God is the one who destroys. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14. He's telling his disciples, he says, when you go to a wedding, don't sit in the most important spot. Because what's going to happen is somebody more important than you is going to show up, and they're going to say, hey, can you move down? Because we got somebody important here. He says, choose the least important spot. That way, when they're like, no, 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 you're more important than that, and they move you up, and you'll be honored. Now, what Jesus is not teaching party etiquette. It's not like, oh, party etiquette for the followers of Jesus. That's not the, the point, all right? The point of the parable, he tells in the, in the last verse, he says, why? Why do you do this? Because everyone who exalts himself is going to be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice that the verbs are the passive voice. That means you're not, exalt, you're not the one who's going to humble you. You're not the one who is going to exalt you. Someone else will. So when you exalt yourself, someone else is going to come in and he's going to humble you. When you humble yourself, someone else is going to come in and exalt you. Who is that person? That person is God. He opposes proud. He gives grace to the humble. And it is constantly a lesson he is teaching his disciples. Mark chapter 10, James and John, the brothers, the sons of Zebedee, they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we think when you and your in your kingdom, we should be sitting next to you. We are good enough to sit in the best spots, right on your right, right on your left. And their mama's right there with them. She's like, they're good boys. Like every good mama, they're the best. They're the best. Right? And Jesus, and all the other disciples are mad. They're hot. I can't believe they would ask for that. And Jesus said, this is not the way it works for my disciples. Okay, let me tell you what real greatness is. Right? He, he's going to tell them what greatness is. And, and understand, Jesus is not down on greatness. He is not down on, on persevering and excelling and doing great things. He's not down on that. In the church, we have this mentality, oh, we just have to be a bunch of losers and walk around like a bunch of losers because we're Christians. That's not Christianity. Right? He wants you to excel. He wants you to work hard. He wants you to do your best. So it's not like, oh, we just have to lose. But he, what he does is he redirects what true greatness really is. He says, you want to see greatness? I'm great, and the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but serve and give his life as a ransom. That's where he goes. He says, that's what true greatness is. You, know, you ought to persevere. You ought to work hard. You ought to excel. You ought to try your best. But in the end, true greatness is people who serve others for my glory. So it's not that God is down on doing great things. He is down on you thinking that you are great. And that is a big difference. Right? He says, you want to be great? Serve. Serve. That's what I'm looking for. The poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah says this. This is the one whom I'm look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The, you, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Right? This is what he is looking for. Humility. And, and he's opposed to the proud. And here's the kicker for us. This is what you have to understand. It's on you. It's on me. Because we like to sound real spiritual. Well, just pray that God would humble me. Do not pray that. You don't want to pray that. Because he will. And it won't be good. Every time in the scripture, it's not pray that God would humble you. It's humble yourself. 
Humble yourself. James 4, humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you. Peter, does Peter know about getting humbled by God? Peter would be like, don't pray that God would humble you. I'm telling you. What does he say? Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's on you to humble yourself. It's on you to clothe yourself in humility. That's wise living. Right? Proverbs 11, when pride comes in, comes disgrace. The, with the humble, there is wisdom. The, besides the fear of the Lord, the most wise thing you can do is, is walk in humility. Is walk in humility. So here's, what we got, here's where we need to go. Then let's talk about how do we cultivate humility then? Because that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's, that's what we want. That's what we want to see. Because I'm telling you, I've seen churches destroy themselves. I'm talking good churches that have good doctrine and everyone knows all the right answers and they have all the right theology and they are dead. It's as if God is shutting the door. Why? Because they're proud. I've seen individuals, oh, ne I would never do that. I would never have an affair. I would never do that. To him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. You, don't, don't ever say, I would never. We, we want to cultivate Humility. And when I'm talking humility, I'm not talking about being nice. Humility does not equal nice. Right? That, that's, not, that's not a synonym here. All right? Nor is humility, whoa, we're just dirty, rotten Christians. Whoa is us. We're worthless. We're nothing. We're duh. That's not humility either. That's false humility. You're not worthless. You're not blah. Jesus did not die for worthless people. Jesus created you in his image. You have value. So let's not have this all false, oh, we're just Christians, right? True humility is it's just an honest assessment of who you are in light of, of God. Just seen accurately, right? It's not thinking Less of yourself, as Lewis said, it's thinking of yourself less. That's it. In fact, he says, when you meet a truly humble person, let me quote him, he says, all he's going to be is a cheerful, intelligent chap who seemed to take a real interest in what you said to him. He just, he's interested in you. That's true humility. Right? So how do we cultivate it? And don't think that you'll, oh, next week I'll have it. You tell me what to do, and in six days I'm coming back a humble man. I'll tell everyone how humble I am, and then I got to start over. I had a guy at a church I was at one time sharing his testimony. He started out with, I'm a humble man. I felt like saying, no, you're not. <laughs> you can't say that. Unless you're Jesus or Moses, you can't say that, right? You can't do it. So let, let me give you just kind of eight things we'll work through just to cultivate humility. It's not something that we'll ever arrive at, but it's something that we want to continually cultivate in our lives, in our churches and our relationships. You can write them down, and again, hopefully some of these will be practical to some of you. All right, so when we talked about cultivating meaning, here's the first one, is that we begin and end every day in dependence on God. Have you thought about how often you just kind of wake up, drink your coffee, run out the door, take the kids to school, go to work, go to do whatever without a thought for God? Just, I'm, I can do it, self-sufficiency, I can handle it. Do you realize that you cannot even breathe your next breath without, without God? Yet we just kind of, boom, boom, boom. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to land. I'm going to go sell this. I'm going to go to that. I'm going to go yard sale. I'm going to go. Right? James 4 says that is, 
that is evil, that is boasting, that you said, I'm going to go to here, I'm going to make a profit, I'm going to do these things. He said, instead, you ought to say, the Lord wills, and the Lord wills I'll do this. Just start your day, whether it's for five minutes or 55 minutes, whether it's lying in bed, whether it's a cup of coffee, just independence. Lord, I need you. Maybe you're reading scripture. Maybe it's a time of worship. Maybe it's a time of prayer. But the act of just kind of opening and saying, God, here I am. I can't do anything today. It just it cultivates need and humility in your heart. I mean, I'll read the scriptures in the morning. Not, I'm not looking for some new revelation, ooh, some new thing. I've read most of it before. But what I'm doing is I'm getting before God and saying, I need you today because I don't know what I'm doing. I need you. And it's just, it ought to be something we, we do constantly, right? Constantly casting your carriage. I got to take kids over here. I got to go to work over here. I got PTA over here. I got, an, I got a meeting. I got a tournament in Atlanta this weekend. I got a doctor's appointment. I'm killed kind of low. I got to go talk to that friend because I know they're struggling. You got all these things. Start individually casting these things verbally before God. God, please, I, I got a lot of driving today. I just, I just pray for safety. And Lord, I got I to write words to tell her because I know she's struggling. And, and I, you know, I got the kids and, and, and this, this one's struggling with math and please help him. Just daily start casting your cares upon him. You'll be amazed how much more dependent you are on him rather than self-sufficient. It cultivates humility. Right? Have regular times of thanksgiving where you are thanking God for stuff. It's hard to be arrogant when you're thankful. It just is. And write a list. And if you're, not, and if you're a journal or person, write a list. Now, most of us are not. I journal like three times a year. Right? I start, I'm going to do this well. And three months later, oh, I'm going to start over. You know? So I just gave up. I quit. I'm a quitter. Right? But if you're not a quitter, write a list. And if, or just at dinner one night. You know, go around the table. All right, we're going to be thankful. Everyone's going to talk about what you're thankful for one thing. Just cultivating thankfulness, right, and humility. You're like, well, I don't, I don't really have anything to be thankful for, you know. Did you hear that? That was your heart. It just beat. Again, that's pretty good. It's something to be thankful for. The air conditioning is working for service. It's good. By 11, it'll be off, y'all. You got here somehow. You drove. You walked. You ate a meal this week. Someone told you they loved you. Look outside. You smelled the gardenias late me? Man, I opened my car door. Gardenia. Man, that's good. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. Just little things. The more you start thanking God and identifying things and are purposeful, the more you will see that you have to be thankful for. Just telling you. Right? So, so start cultivating thankfulness. Right? It's the soil, as one writer wrote. It's a soil in which pride does not grow easily. At the end of the day, thank God, you know what? Kid got a B plus. That's pretty good. Thank you, Lord, for helping him get that B plus. Hey, we made it. It was a struggle, but we made it. Just identify those little things that God did. Learn to transfer successes. Man, we won the game, right? I nailed the big project. Thank you, Lord, that was you. It's, it, it cultivates humility. Be thankful for sleep. Have you thought about how good sleep is? Right? Some of you are enjoying it now. That's fine. <laughs> good. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. I mean, God could have created you to never sleep 24 hours a day. You just go. Why does he give you this need for sleep? To cultivate your neediness. 
So thank him for it. Man, when you don't have it, when you got young kids, you're, th- you're thankful for an hour of sleep. So thank him when you go to bed at 1030, you're like, man, I get to sleep six hours. That's awesome. Right? But just a thankful people or a humble people. That's the first one. All right? Second one. Think about the bigness and the greatness of God and his grace often. And when you do it, maybe it's in your time of, of in the morning of dependence. But here's why. When you stand next to something great, it shows you how ungreat you are. All right, so if I'm out in the, in the parking lot playing hoops with LeBron, some, there's greatness that is shown and there's not greatness. Right? And there's something about just getting up next to greatness that is humbling. It cultivates humility. Start thinking about some of the, the characteristics of God. Have you thought about God's omniscience ever? Really, I mean, if you really try to, I mean, you don't even know where your kids are half the time. At any given time in the universe, God, God knows right now in this room, every single person, how many hairs are on your head right now. And that's easy for some of you. It's like four. <laughs> but for most of you, that's a lot. Oh, and one just fell out, and he knew it. And he knows how many cells you have in your body at any given time. He knows how many breasts you have left. And not just you, everybody who has ever lived. And at the same time, these there's planets and stars that are like a million billion light years away. Oh, and he knows their names. And he knows the, the size and the diameter and the circumference and what the, the air makeup is, how much nitrogen, how much hydrogen. And he's holding it all together all while he's ruling the universe and he's intimately reading your mind right now. That's the omniscience of God. It's just vast. And when you think about that, you're like, how small and dumb am I? Right? Have you thought about the eternal nature of God? That a billion years ago, before there was anything, there was God. And a billion years before that, he had already been around for eternity. There was no beginning. And in a billion years from now, and in a billion years after that, you will have no less time in eternity with God than you already have spent. It's just mind-boggling. And it shows you how small your little 80, 90 years is. And it's meant to show you the vastness of God. Salvation, the doctrines of grace. God purposely, intentionally designed divine salvation so that no one could boast. This is why religious pride bothers me the most, and I thank God. Because what have you done? All you did was kill the Savior. That's all. You nailed his hands to a cross. You nailed his feet. You pierced his side. That's what you did. That's what you brought to the table. Congratulations. So why does anyone boast in their denomination, in their theology, in their whatever, when you have nothing to offer except sin? I think it's the worst of pride. Right? To reflect on God's grace and his mercy constantly. It, it, it cultivates humility. Here's another one on the lighter side. Don't be so serious. Learn to laugh at yourself. Learn to laugh at life. You're like, I don't have much to laugh at. Look in the mirror. Okay? I mean, look at the hair growing out your nose and your ears. and I, Just look at yourself. I mean, it's fun. Laugh at your kids. You're going to step in dog do. Laugh about it. It's going to happen. All right? I know it's annoying, but it's funny, kind of. It is. I mean, some of us take ourselves way too serious. You're not that important. There's no red button by your bed. Blow up world if you push. You don't have that button, so you're not that important. 
okay? So learn to be a little lighthearted once in a while. Is there a time to be serious? Yes, there is. But some of y'all, it's all the time. Way too important. Right? Learn to enjoy the life God has given you. Learn to be quick to say, I'm sorry. You're not that important again. Everyone knows you're broken, except for you. So when you're in the car, men, and, and you miss the turn, don't be like, oh, well, you know, the, my GPS told me I was supposed to go down and do a U-turn and then come back. Yeah, I didn't miss the turn. I was doing exactly what it said. Just own it. You missed the turn. Right? We, have, we have some men that have never apologized to their wives, never apologized to their kids. Some, some folks that have never apologized to their parents. But be quick. Don't be so serious. Be quick to say, you know what? I'm broken. I'm messed up. Is a hard yes, but it cultivates humility. Right? Don't take yourself so serious. Number four, identify evidences of grace in your life. We have way too many Mr. Darcy's in the church. And the girls are like, where? Mr. Darcy? I haven't seen him. It's said of Mr. Darcy. And if you don't know who Mr. Darcy is, that's why you're single, man. Okay? That's the problem. All right? You need to read some Jane Austen. But instead of Mr. Darcy, he never looked at any woman except to see flaws in her. Some of us are great at seeing some flaws. We can walk into a room, flaw, 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 flaw. We identify all those issues, but we never identify anything good. And we need to be better at identifying grace. Because look, the closer you get to folks, the more you're going to see their flaws. That's why marriage is the great cultivator of humility. Because all those things that you were hiding from them, they see them now. Right? They, you can't hide them no more. And so there's this, oh, they see me for who I really am. It should be a cultivating humility. Right? It's a great place to grow there. But start looking in your family for evidences and tell them out loud. Okay, we, we see our kids. Well, you forgot them. You missed a shoe, and you're supposed to clean the counter, and you missed some crumbs, and, you know, you got clothes on the floor. You know, we identify the one thing. We missed that they did the lawn, and they took out the trash. We complain about the C minus, but we, they got four A's before that. We didn't mention those. We're great at pointing out the flaws, and you left the toilet seat up, and you know what? You were late, and this, but we don't, we don't hey, thank you for doing this. Thank you for working hard. Right? Let's just be better at identifying, actually looking for Actually looking for them, looking for them in churches. I, this was a struggle for me and still is a little bit, but I used to be so critical. I'd walk into a church and, yeah, I see these 17 things. We do better than them. You know what? It's just a critical spirit. You want to find flaws in a church? You just start right here. You see them all over the place. I'm not talking about holes in the wall. We got them too. I'm talking about brokenness and just we do things wrong. We mess up. But it's okay. It's okay. When people now will be like, did you hear what they did at that church? I, I try to flip the conversation. I'm like, yeah, but have you heard about this? They do this really awesome because it gives them no place to go. Like, don't, don't be cr- cr- slamming all these old, oh, this church does this and this. Church. Look, God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Look for, for grace. If the apostle Paul, can talk, and talking to the Corinthians, a church that most of us would have left, a church that most of us would never join. And he opens the book saying, I give thanks to my God for you because of the grace that was given to you. If Paul can find grace in this messed up group of people, what does that say for you? Look for evidences of grace. Right? It, correct, it, it cultivates humility. 
Look for opportunities to serve others. Right? If there, if there is nothing too good for Je- too, too low for Jesus to do, and he did it all, washing the disciples' feet, there is nothing that you cannot do. There is no lowness that you cannot reach. So look for opportunities to serve. And don't always serve those who are like you. It's easy to run with the same path. Serve others who are not like you. See, that's the, that's the challenge, but that, that's the humbling. Do stuff that you're not good at sometimes. With someone who's better than you, it, it just is this good. Cultivate humility. You, we got, you got to serve in the mundane and, and the maybe not so fulfilling, pour out energy there. It, it's, it's good. I love that at this church on, on any given Sunday, we got folks doing stuff that you can't imagine. I mean, parents know it is bad enough changing your own kid. Changing someone else's kid, the worst, right? You know it. For the parents, you're like, yeah, it's bad. We got folks that are running corporations and companies and charge. They're putting on an orange vest. They're, they're, they're directing traffic, right? There's nothing that you shouldn't be willing to do if God calls you to do. Go, not just in the church, outside the church. Take a homeless, you got the homeless guy, don't just give him two bucks. Take him to lunch and sit across the table from him. Is that hard? Mm-hmm. Is he different? Mm-hmm. But the son of man came to serve, right? Just look for opportunities to serve. It cultivates, it cultivates humility. It teach your kids this. Teach your daughter. I know all of our daughters are our princesses. I get it. Right? But just because they're our princesses, don't give them everything they want. They're princesses because they're born, they're made in the image of God. They're, they're princesses because Jesus loves them, not because they're yours. You teach them they're princesses and they never have to do anything, they're going to make some man miserable one day. Okay? I'm just telling you. Right? So teach, they got to get out there and work. They got to do it too. Proverbs 31, woman, that woman's getting it, y'all. She's getting it. Right? Teach your, your boys need to be hot and tired and sweaty and do hard things that they aren't good at. They need to, they need to struggle and wrestle because it humbles the heart. A man that has never wrestled or done anything hard and had to grind it out, he's going to be so proud. What are you going to teach that guy? Nothing. You ain't going to listen to anything. Don't rescue them from consequences. Let them, let them face them. Let them lose. I don't need to tell you how I feel about the participation trophy. All right? Life, there's no participation trophy. They need to learn to win. They need to learn to lose. Don't give them the medal. Oh, you get ice cream for losing. No ice cream for losing. <laughs> Only winners get ice cream, right? All right, I'm going to get fired in a minute. <laughs> right? But look for opportunities to serve others. Teach your kids. And here's, here's a big one for some of you. Let others serve you. Because some of you are always serving, and you're, oh, you're, you're Mr. Humble servant, but you won't let anybody serve you because really you're proud. And you need to let some people serve you. Right? You need to let them, hey, you've, get, you've given me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you now. Right? couple more, and we'll be done, because I'm running over. Uh, invite and accept correction. This is a hard one, right? But you need to have a, a time where you, you invite, hey, I need you to speak to me, because I am blinded sometimes by this deal, and you can't freak out when they do it. Well, honey, I think this might be rooted in a pride. No, you're not supporting me. You don't love me. You don't respect me. You're my what? 
No, you can't freak out if, if, if they say, hey, this, this may be rooted to some, some pride issues. You got to be willing to hear it, right? Because there's something blinding. And when folks ask you how you're doing, don't lie. Doing great. Doing okay. Right? It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to lie about being not okay. So people say, hey, how are you doing? I'd like to talk about it. Let's go get a coffee. And accept that, hey, man, don't be so proud that you're, you, you, can't, you can't hear what people have to say. Right? Ask questions in trials. A trial is designed to teach and ultimately to remind you that you are a creature, not a creator. Right? And there is something better. And so ask questions in them. Right? Lord, what are, what are you trying to teach me? It cultivates humility. Instead of trying to get it out and try to figure, what are you trying to show me about me, about you? The teachability there. Right? And here's the last one. And we'll close with this one. Is that we reflect on the cross. Because the cross is the ultimate of humility. We're going to sing a hymn in a few minutes. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See, no one stands proudful at the foot of the cross. The cross where Jesus, who is completely innocent, takes responsibility for a bunch of stuff he never did. Now, we, we, we make a left turn, we should have made a right, and we blame it on Siri. Not my fault. Jesus says, I didn't do anything, but I'm taking responsibility for it all. See, that's humility. I'm owning it. I didn't do it, but I'm owning it. And so no one stands arrogant at the foot of the cross, which is why we keep going back there, which is why he gives us the Lord's table, which is why he reminds us of it. And remember, the Lord's table is not done when we go to heaven. In fact, Jesus says what? I'm not going to drink this and eat this again until the kingdom. We're going to forever remember the cross. In, in heaven, they are still talking about the lamb who was slain. When your relationships are perfect in a billion years and you love everyone the way you were designed to and you have perfect relationships with every Christian who's ever lived, you will still be talking about the lamb who was slain, right? And so it's not something that gets old here either. It's not some simplistic deal. Yeah, that's, that's the beginning of Christianity. You want humility? What does Philippians 2 say? The ultimate is the one who emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men. That's where we go, right? That's where we go. And Paul says this in Galatians 6. Far free it from me that to boast in, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That is where we boast. You want to boast? Boast in that. You want to go somewhere? Go there. We, are, we can be known for a lot of things as a church, y'all. A lot of things. Yeah, there's a church with a you know, building that you know, gets hot, and there's a church that does this, and they got these short pastors. A lot of things. What would be great is if people said, man, that is a joyful, humble group of folks who are genuinely interested in me. That's what we want to be known for. We're not going to be known for the perfect church, I can tell you. We're not going to be known for the sinless church. We're not going to be known for the people that get it all together. So let's just give that one up. And God has blessed us, y'all, and he has grown us, and he's done amazing things. But it's not been because of us. And the moment we start thinking, oh, look, look what we're doing, is the minute he says, fine, you handle it. I'm out. I'll go somewhere else. He's opposed to that. 
And so let's just be a group of people that stay humble. If, if God is putting his finger on the arrogance of your heart right now, yeah, yeah, that's you. This is a time to repent, to reflect on the cross. It is the entry point for humility. So let's start there. I want you guys to stand. We'll pray. We'll worship. Father in heaven, you are good. You are gracious. You have rescued us when we were your enemy, and we have brought nothing to the table but sin. I just pray that you would cultivate in this body humility, that you would give grace to us as we are humble, that we would not stand in opposition to you, a great God, that we would not run towards destruction, towards a fall, towards, towards wickedness, that we would not be deceived by our own pride. Help us, Lord Jesus. We can't do it on our own. Uh, it's by your spirit. But just move in your body. And please do not take your hand upon, off of us. We want to stay humble and, and just, just enjoy the ride that you have brought us on as you do great things through us despite us. For Christ's name's sake and his glory, I pray.